Let's face it, folks, business news is dense and dry, but it doesn't have to be that way. Morning Brew is a free daily email newsletter that delivers the latest business news directly to your inbox every weekday morning. Both Jay Papazan and I are subscribers of this because it's written in a witty and conversational tone, and it's actually enjoyable to read. And best of all, it only takes just five minutes. So you can get all your most relevant news and then get on with your one thing. Sign up for free at morningbrew.com. That's morningbrew.com to get started with your daily dose of business news. This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name's Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. You know that ceiling that's above your head right now? That ceiling of achievement that year after year You just continue to bump up against, wondering why you just never quite break through and wonder why you never have just that exponential growth. Do you ever wonder what stops you? One of the three commitments of the one thing is the commitment of moving from E to P, the commitment of moving from being entrepreneurial to being purposeful. You act entrepreneurially when you wake up and you rely on your natural abilities. You take action, you make mistakes, you have failures, you learn from them, you take more action. That's entrepreneurially. And it carries a ceiling of achievement with it. The only way you shatter that ceiling of achievement is when you identify models and systems that you can bring in, whether that's your professional or your personal life, such that by following those systems allows you to break through. Gary Keller would suggest to you that you're actually not a business owner until you can step away from your business and your net worth goes up. How many of you have been calling yourself a business owner yet what you really are is self-employed. The person you're going to meet today has a particular expertise in this. He is partners with the author of the book, Work the System, which really shows you how do you go about building these systems into your business. With that, we look forward to showing you how you can shatter your ceiling of achievement and work the system with Josh Fonger. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like Breakfast on the Go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. How did you get involved with Work the System and with the company as a whole? Well, the beginning of the company really started about 20 years ago with my business partner, Sam Carpenter. You see, he has a business. It's called Centratel. It's still in Oregon. And he was at a point where, and some entrepreneurs can relate to this, he was you know, working as many hours as he could work. He was literally living in the business, sleeping there at night. He wasn't going to make payroll. 
and he has this this dream, this dream of his business being laid out on a table and the separate pieces of it all isolated. The the way they answer the phone, the way they handle a new client, the way they um, charge someone, the way they invoice someone, all those things were separated on his business. And he had this insight and a, really a hypothesis, a question he wanted to ask himself in this dreamlike state. And it was, if the pieces of my business were perfect and I put them back together, would I have a perfect business? And so that was kind of the question he asked himself. And that was that's kind of the genesis of our business is that he took that idea, he ran with it, he saved his business, he transformed his business from literally killing him to now he works, I just talked to him on the phone a few minutes ago, uh, five minutes a week in his business. So he went from 100 hour work weeks down to five minute work weeks, and his income has gone up 100 times. And you know how did he do that? And it wasn't a stroke of brilliance. It wasn't some innovative new strategy or tactic. It was this idea of the separate pieces of your business, break them into, into little parts that you can actually handle and go about, about the work of mechanizing them and systemizing them, putting them back together, and then you'll build uh, freedom in a very logical, pragmatic way. And that that is kind of the beginning of our business. And uh, so Sam and I, I mean, we're partners. I met him because of a problem he was having, which was uh, he wrote this book about how to systemize your business. It's called Work the System. And people kept calling him, emailing him, and asking him for help. And he said, well, I, you know, I didn't write this book to start working again. <laughs> I wrote this book you know, just kind of as a passion project. Uh, he, didn't need the, he didn't need the money. He didn't need the business. He just did it because he enjoyed writing. His, his mom was a writer. His dad was a writer. And so he just enjoyed writing. And so uh, he and I connected because he knew there was a need in the marketplace for people to take his method the work the system method, and then apply it to their business to grow it. And so that, that's how the company began, just out of people calling him. And he said, well, I might as well start a company. And that was it. So what's kind of interesting is the exact same thing that Gary and Jay did with me, Sam did with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a business by accident. And I think it's, it's kind of a good way to start because the demand is already there. Then you're just trying to help them out and come up with new and better ways to do that effectively. And that's that's what our company does. Yeah. So you and I have been talking about this. It, and people who are listening, it's the idea of working in your business, the day-to-day, doing the stuff, the random urgent fires that pop up versus working on your business. And so many of us have unconsciously formed this habit of working in our business, reacting to everything. How does someone start working on the business? Well, I think it's first recognizing, just like you just did there, is the difference, right? I mean, the book, The E-Myth is great for people to kind of capture that. We take it a step further to mechanize it, but we call it getting it. And it's this the system's mindset. And the way we do it and the way we teach is you have to get outside yourself. We call it outside and slightly elevated. So once you look down on your life, look down on your business, you're going to see the separate parts and then you're going to realize they're not so complex. They're not so hard. Somebody else could be doing those pieces. And also you're going to realize that um, the pieces that owners are really supposed to be doing research and development, experimenting with new ideas, partnerships, new products, new locations, the things that owners are supposed to be doing, you're probably not doing any of those things because you're just busy keeping the business alive with the uh, lower level tasks. And so once you get outside, 
then you can see that, have some perspective. And then we make sure we, we set a direction, of course, as the next step. But um, yeah, I think a lot of people just get, they just get stuck. They just get stuck in uh, survival mode and they don't see there's a better way out. So you, I hear this idea of just getting outside your business, slightly elevated. Mm-hmm. And then I ask the question, how? <laughs> you know, I, I've got all these emails. I've got all these meetings. There's all these customer requests. There's all these major initiatives that I have to focus on. What's the one thing people are not doing that if they started doing would allow them to get outside their business? Hmm. Uh, great, um, great question. Yeah, for us, it's the strategic objective. I think until you know what your business is about, until you know the direction you're trying to hit in 5, 10, 20 years, then then all you have is the moment. All you have is the day. All you have is people telling you what's important instead of you saying what's important. So I think that is that is the easiest way to do that is to have this trajectory, this direction, and this clarity about what you exist for, your, your business, that is. And we take people through a series of exercises to get there. But that really is, I mean, here, let me just tell you a quick little story about this. I, I had a client that he was a really talented photographer. And I said, so you're a photographer. You're trying to grow that. And I talk about scaling it. He's like, yeah, but people also use me for graphic design. And I said, okay, so you're going to do that business? And he's like, well, I also do wraps on cars. So I'll wrap cars. And then I said, well, that's, that's a whole other business. And then he said, but I love weddings. And so I do a lot of wedding photography. <laughs> and I was like, well, so, I mean, that's four businesses. They all make money. They're all great. You could, you could grow them. But what what are you going to do? What do you go, <laughs> like? What is your business about? Because your team is pulling their hair out. And he had he had ten employees. That's a nightmare. I mean, as you can imagine, that's that's a nightmare scenario. And we don't believe in you know drastically changing things because that just upsets the whole apple cart. But for him, it was about realizing okay, really, what what is the most scalable part of his business? And it was the the graphic design business, the advertising that went along with graphic design. That's scalable. And in the meantime, how do we wean off the things that are not so scalable? And the way to do that is you know, raise the price. So we dramatically raise the price of all of his photography work. So it would slow down and then reinvest the money back into the part of the business that was scalable. So it wasn't just a totally 180 tomorrow. It was having that strategic direction and then getting closer and closer and closer to it each day incrementally, um, knowing that's it's too hard to make a big, big shift like that in a business that's already operating. Josh, I'm putting myself in in these pe- in someone's shoes and going, all right, I see the value in having clarity on what my strategic direction is, and yet I lack that clarity. What are some questions people can consider such that by asking them may lead to that clarity? Great question. Yeah, and there's there's a series of them. We believe in simplicity, but the thing with most companies is they have maybe a vision statement or they have a value statement, or they have a mission statement. And all those things are our statements. But to give it more um, meat, we actually create, again, I'm going back to it, the, the strategic objective. And to do that, you have to ask yourself questions. And it's not just one question, it's multiple questions. It's exactly what do you produce? Exactly who is it for? Exactly what assets do you have? What skills do you have to actually produce that? Uh, what is the marketplace like? So you have to really a 360 degree, understand what you're doing and the context you're doing it in to see, is my plan scalable or not? And usually when folks take the time to ask themselves those tough questions, they realize 
this actually isn't scalable or this actually there's there's some incongruency between what I want to do and what my market actually wants or my price point and what I can actually deliver. And the only way to do that is to get hyper focused. As long as you're not hyper focused on that, then you're always going to be spinning your wheels and frustrated. And so we really think that's the one thing that a business owner can do if they really want to be efficient. And we talk a lot about systems and processes is to to have clarity, clarity with that direction and not just, I want to be the best or I want to be the fastest, but you know, for who, you know, in what industry and how are you going to do it with what, what mediums are you going to use? And once you get into those details, then it's about refining. I love in the in the the one thing in the book where it talks about being willing to say no to things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, my whole mantra is start with no. Anything that comes your way, the first response, your gut response should be no to everything, because once you've decided the one thing your business is going to be about, everything else is going to take away from something you're doing now. And if you're already doing the right things, you've got to decide something that you're doing that's right is not as effective as this new thing that just came your way. And almost always, it's not as effective. And so, if you build up that really strong boundary, then you're going to be you're going to be streamlined. You're going to be efficient. Yeah, I, I just finished doing a talk for a group of about sixty business owners, and it so much of what they're struggling with came down to really my, what my first year looks like starting this company. It was so busy running day to day, reacting, taking action, trying to build the business, and it wasn't until. You know, a year in, Jay's looking at me and going, what does your calendar look like? Show me where you have time blocked for you to ask questions, mm-hmm. for you to dream, for you to cast the vision, for you to figure out who is our customer? What are we for? What are we against? What's the type of company we want to become? Do you have time blocked and protected for asking those types of questions? Mm-hmm. The answer was No. And it's, and it's interesting because when you do that, you're just like the hamster on the wheel. And I think the thing for you who's listening to this is it's not like you need hours and hours and hours blocked every week for this. Can you ask these types of questions for five minutes a week? And that may seem like nothing, but it's more about reinforcing the right activities. And that over time, do you think you stop at just five minutes? Not necessarily. It may not take as much time as you think. The question is, are you even doing the right activities? And I love this idea of, of time blocking, Jeff. When, I mean, I'm kind of neurotic about it, but I'll use my calendar for blocking out all sorts of things. But I'll block out, you know, take a shower, think about this podcast. Driving here, consider this in my marriage. You think you know, about the one thing podcast in the shower too? Yeah, <laughs> maybe this morning, but usually not. But the, but the whole idea is you, you can. I mean, there's always time. There's always headspace, and you can choose what you fill it fill it up with. And I think it's really important to. I mean, whenever I travel, I use travel as my opportunity for completely nothing. I don't put anything into my brain while I travel. And I just let myself just kind of consider about my life and where it's at. But uh, for business things, I'm always putting, I'm always scheduling time to consider and reflect while I'm doing something else that's remedial, like the laundry or whatever it might be. Yeah, that's super interesting. For you who's listening to this, what are those things that you do on a regular basis that you find yourself filling the space with entertainment, whether it's listening to the podcast, um, listening to an audiobook? For me, it's when I'm driving. I'm totally with you, Josh. If I'm on an airplane, talk about the world's greatest bunker. It's crappy internet and I got nothing else to do. 
it's amazing how if you just have some questions or some things prepared for you to consider, uh, your mind just starts producing amazing ideas. We just don't give ourselves the space to think. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. That's a big thing. I love travel for that reason. Um, I've, we, we homeschool, so we've got three boys and I work from home typically. So my best time for total headspace is, is travel. So I love travel for that reason. So what we, I mean, cause you're, you're in similar shoes to me, right? Oh, there's, there's a book, Sam writes, work the system. The book does well. They look, it realizes that there's an opportunity to make this a bigger opportunity for someone, i.e. you to make an impact in other people's lives. Where did you struggle in terms of working on the business versus working in it? Well, the um, the tough thing has been, well, I wouldn't say it's tough. It's just part of the natural flow is from Sam and I working together to him being the leader and me being the worker bee, right? Doing the work, all of the clients I've flown out to, visited all the presentations. And so doing the work was something that I've done and, and built systems for it to building a team to take a lot of that work. So whether it's the design work or the editing work or the copywriting work and and then taking that method of building systems and giving it to those folks, which is what we've done to the point now where Sam's uh, heavily involved in politics and travel and and he's stepping away. And now, now here I am on this podcast, right? And so we've mechanically and slowly made this transition. And so now I'm working on finding understudies to do mm-hmm. the coaching that I do. It doesn't happen in, in, in an instant. I would say we're always in the same direction, but we're just uh, walking one step at a time. We'll talk about that a little bit because I think for a lot of people who are listening to this, you know, you're the type of person where you take massive action, you're very driven, you make a lot of progress, you have success in your career, and you suddenly wake up and realize that if true success, no one succeeds alone. And you've got to start the things that you would naturally do yourself now, if you want to get to that next level, have to be done by others and relinquishing that control. Walk us through that a little bit because that's really hard for people. Yeah, through through control. Well, I think it starts from a, a place of realizing what your time is worth uh, to the business, right? As as the head of the business, what is your time worth? Five hundred dollars an hour, thousand dollars an hour, and then finding you know the price point of what some of those activities are that you could pay someone else to do, and that's kind of the, the clear dollar and cents way that I usually help folks with is like you know this is a ten dollar task, you should never be doing it to the point where there's a there's so many things in our business that I don't know anything about. Um, and if they break, I just know other people who can fix them, but I don't know how to fix them myself. And I've continually um, refined that. And I think a, a key point in, a, in our business was when we started using uh, Infusionsoft, which I think a lot of folks will know is a, is a software, a CRM software, email marketing software. And we, we bought this software and... I can't recall who it was, but someone said, hey, Josh, why don't you learn the software? You can help us out with this. And I said, I- I'm never going to use this software in our business. Our business is going to use it, but I'm never going to use it. And to that day, I, other than um, logging in about once every six months, I don't even know how to do anything in that software. But, but our team does. And I just made a commitment that anything that is not going to be my, my contribution to the business as tertiary as fringe, I'm just not going to bother learning it. Because um, it changes. And I think the more you can make choices like that, uh, I call it cleaving, the, the better. And so I didn't start with that problem, but a lot of entrepreneurs do. And you know, the kind of the easy exercise is make a list. Make a list of every single thing you did last week uh, or this, this current week. And you're going to find 
you know, half of those things really someone else could do or should do. And it's not about abdicating it to someone else or um, just giving it away. It's about, in, in our mind, it's about documenting systems so that they can do it the way you would want it done and do it the right way. And then you can confidently give that packet of information over uh, in a safe way. Well, the shift I heard you say from a mindset standpoint is not what we find most people say, which is, but it's faster if I do it, to a shift of, if it can be done by someone else, it will be done by someone else. Well, exactly. I think um, the other way to look at it is ROI, return on investment. So can I do a lot of these things faster myself? Definitely, because I can jump right in there and do it. But investing a little bit of time and a little bit of money, let's just say I had something for my assistant to do and I invested a little bit of time and money to teach her to do it. The first two weeks that she does it for me, I'm at a loss. Like I, I spent more time teaching her, training her, documenting the system, teach, you know, watching her do it. And I'm at a loss the first few weeks. But maybe week three or week four, it's starting to, to hit break even. And then at week five and week six, I'm, I'm making money on that effort. That investment was worth it. And so they're all little... Um, Miniature assets. So anyone who's a real estate investor understands that you know, you're, you're developing these assets, but then they pay you back over time. And you know, investing in a person is, is great, but we would say you know, investing in a system is even, even better because the system is going to stay even beyond the person usually and be able to pass from person to person and be able to uh, self-improve with the right culture. And so we, we really focus on develop, investing in systems, knowing that you know, they don't always break even right away. So people in my, my program are like, you know, am I going to make a million dollars tomorrow? Probably not. But you're going to invest in your infrastructure. And then that's going to give you a little bit of freedom, a little bit more money over time. And then all of a sudden, you know, it can take off and it can scale. Imagine the person who's listening to this, who sees the value in what they're saying. They understand they're currently working in their business far too much. There's tremendous amount of activities that are being done by them that don't have to be done by them. They want to be able to hand it off to other people and they lack clarity on how to start creating those systems so that the results can be predictably done by other people. Mm -hmm. Where do they begin? Great question. Um, I start with most the entrepreneurs I work with with an organizational chart. Uh, now, it's kind of a strange way to do it, but most folks don't have an org chart. And they say, well, gosh, I only have one employee or I have no employees. So why do I need one of these charts? And I say, well, start from where you are now, just, you know, a piece of paper and a pencil or Excel, whatever you want to do. Now, fast forward you know, a year later or when your company doubles in size, what does it look like? like what, what kind of people are you going to even need that you don't have yet? Once you have that framework, then you understand okay, if I develop a system here, I actually know someone's going to be able to do this in six months or a year or a year and a half. And I think that really helps folks um, to, to kind of get beyond, get beyond just doing it themselves to say, oh, you know what? If I grow, there's going to be people here because this is the infrastructure I'm growing. So I always do a current org chart, a future org chart, and then you can kind of prioritize the different places you go. Because there's no point in developing a system unless someone's going to actually work it for you or, or by doing it, you're going to improve dramatically. So we really uh, focus on that org chart first. And then once, once that's in place, then um, 
you know, you can get to work with the documentation. Well, let's, let's clarify. What do you, you keep, we keep saying system, like we are, like we're, everybody has the same definition of what a system is. What's your definition of a system? Well, a system uh, for me would be a, a repeatable way to do a, a process. Right now, whether that process is greeting someone when they walk into the front door of your business, or that process is um, coming up with a subject line to an email, any any repeatable task, you know, a recipe for how to make you know a sandwich, whatever it is, they're repeatable. They're tasks. There's a start and there's an end, and you can um, typically do it in one sitting. Now we we've got different ways of defining it within our within our construct, but the most common way is think of a recipe, a, a how-to recipe, how to do something. And uh, there's, it's usually sequential, typically sequential. And uh, if you can do it in one sitting, then that's very easy to, to hand off to someone else. Now, beyond that, we have, um, we have checklists and we also have process outlines and a number of other things. But the, but the main thing that people need is uh, we call them how-to processes. And they're start, finish, of a repeatable task that you know is going to happen over and over and over again in your business. How do you identify what you build a process for that's literally step by step by step to the T to the point that a monkey could do it versus the types of things where you need a process, but you need to allow for creativity for an individual to bring their own brilliance to it? Great question. Great question. Um, The starting point to that, and we have to kind of uh, back up a little bit is the concept of operating principles. So once we develop a you know, clear direction, a strategic objective, and then we have uh, the second thing is principles. And the principles solve that, that question you just asked about. And the principles would be like you know, what, you've, what your beliefs are about time or what your beliefs are about money or strategy or innovation or technology or equipment. And so you, you flesh out the culture or the belief system or the decision-making guidelines of your business within that uh, construct, those operating principles. And so once you have those principles, you can give someone a pretty cut and dry process, knowing they're going to be doing that process with the principles in mind, right? Uh, So um, that's the first piece. And then the second piece... Can you give us an example of some principles in your business? Yeah, yeah. So the one principle that is probably easiest to remember is that it's not just monopoly money. So that's one that Sam coined, you know, right in the very beginning, is that any money we spend or don't spend is real money. It's not monopoly money. So don't waste it. So that's the one thing. The other thing is um, everything is sequential. So one leads to two, leads to three, leads to four. And so always think about the sequence. Don't just think about the results. The sequence will get you to the results, right? Um, employees come first. Problems are gifts that inspire us to action. You know, we've got a number of principles. And the cool thing about principles is that they're not just for our business, but they can really be used for a lot of businesses, the same kind of principles. And then there's going to be some that are very unique. So when I work with companies that are digitally based online companies, let's just say they're an Amazon seller, they're in a very dynamic market. And so they have principles that have to do with risk and experimentation that um, they guide their team to know we actually are going to make mistakes regularly on purpose because we have to innovate. And so that's part of their culture and they're defining it up front. And so if you have that culture built, 
and we like to say it's mechanically built, then uh, it can scale. It's not just you being the innovator. Everyone's now the innovator because it's built into the culture. So what I'm hearing you say is principles are more guideposts for how to live the values of the organization. Yeah, it's not just hard work. It would be when we leave at night, you come home sweaty. That's a certain definition of hard work. I mean, another company I worked with said, um, we all sweep the floors here. Mm. That, that, that means that there's no one above someone else. And it also means if you see a problem, you take care of it. It's, it kind of covers those two things with a um, uh, kind of a, a visual. So we try to, to write principles with companies. It's not just the standard hard work matters. It's try to describe it in the vernacular of your industry with the kind of tone you would say. I was working with a branding company and their principle was think of what's awesome and do that. That's <laughs> it's a great principle, but you know, it's great for them. You know, that that's it's just kind of funny because I can think of the guys who said it. And that's what they do. They they do awesome things. They want their team to think of what would be awesome and do that. It's a it's a very unique way to look at their business. And that's, you know, it always goes back to I mean, back to your book, the one thing, but also back to each individual is that you are, you know, 100% unique and so is your business. It's the only business of its kind run by you. And so take control of it. Um, don't just let it be tossed back and forth by uh, reaction, reacting to the market. You decide. You decide what it's going to be and uh, take ownership of it. Yeah, well, I think the value of what you're saying here, Josh, is uh, your business is going to be decreated, created by default or by design. And you've got an opportunity to shape and mold the culture every single day. And it just goes back to, again, like when are you intentionally pausing, protecting time? Freddie asked the question, what are we for? What are we against? And to get really clear, I remember it took about a year for Jay and I to look up in front of a whiteboard and say, you know what? We're in the business of time, specifically helping people take control of their time and getting clarity on how they wanted to invest it. And we started to realize that we were part of the way we were selling was through email. And in some cases, we were sending like 12 emails over a seven-day period. For a business that's in the business of saving you time, we were not living in integrity with our values, which led us down a very different path moving forward. So our question is, do you know what yours are? And if not... How much time can you set aside minimum, not the max? How much time can you really set aside to seek some clarity there? And what's the cost if you don't? Josh, I remember I was in a mastermind with Gary, and this was right when I was getting super into documenting processes for our business because Jay just kept saying, if you get hit by a bus, how are we going to know what to pick up and how things operate. We got to start documenting things. And so I literally started documenting everything step by step by step. Like, so to the point where somebody could step in and know exactly what button to click the entire way through. And then I'm listening to Gary talk and saying, you need those types of processes for certain things. And yet at the same time, when you bring talent into your organization, if you tell them step one, open your computer, step two, open this application, you stifle their creativity and you don't allow their brilliance to occur. So how do we distinguish between what needs to be documented step-by-step in process form versus where we just identify the guidelines or results we're looking for and allow other people to, to bring their brilliance to the table? Uh, great question. Yeah, I would say start from the, the bottom. 
right? So the bottom is those most remedial tasks where you're going to bring in an intern part-time, you're going to have your kids do it. Those are the ones that you really want to document with the most detail as possible because those people have the least experience, least training, most likely to come and go. And that's where we always start. So those those are the tasks that, of course, you want to document in detail. It's about thinking about the audience. Who am I going to hand this to? Right. So if I'm going to hand a procedure to someone who's been um, digital digital marketing industry for 20 years or well, 10 years, because uh, I have a guy on my team who's really experienced, I'm not going to send him a procedure that says, you know, first uh, log into Facebook. Here's how you do it. I, I'm not going to do that because he he's beyond that. So for him, I will hand him a guideline procedure. So it's different than the lowest level folks. It's the complete, complete opposite. It's just, here are the best practices for our business. Here's the kind of images we like. Here's the market. Here's our end goal. Here's the purpose. And I will give him those high level uh, points to hit. And then he can do what he does, right? He can do his magic. And you're right, there's a clear difference between them. And I think if you say, you know, the ones at the highest level are going to have more you know, management level, senior management are going to have more uh, principles, more guidelines, and more checklists just in case they forget something. So checklists, again, are they're not really detailed. They're just, hey, don't forget these five things. And you just check them off. So those are great. It's like a, a pilot, right? A pilot knows how to fly an airplane, but still the consequence of forgetting something is dramatic. And so they have a pre-flight checklist and they're going to do it, right? Uh, even though they know how to fly an airplane. And it's about uh, being custom about it. So I don't, I'm not really giving you a straight answer. I wish I could. You you are, you. I mean, it's, it's, I like your answer because you're asking the question, who are you handing this to? If it's somebody, it's, the only word that's coming to my mind is just a lower level task. Yeah, it can be step by step, but if you're giving it to somebody who's been hired to think <laughs> and and flex their creativity, you don't stifle them by putting them in the box. You tell them the results you're looking for and you allow them to figure it out. Exactly. And the the thing that we, I mean, it was so funny the first company Sam and I worked with, uh, we didn't have anything built because we just said, well, this company wants help. So we just flew out there and they said, well, how do you do this? And, we're, and Sam's like, well, just get a piece of paper and just start writing. And um, to him, it was all natural. It was all intuitive. So we had to come up with a, you know, a standard template of how to actually extract this information. And one of the key things we realized with this very first client is that there has to be a statement at the top of each procedure that tells you, what is this thing going to accomplish? And then, you know, based on the audience of who's going to actually follow it or use it, then that tells you the detail. So is it going to, you know, I think of answering the phone. So is the purpose of answering the phone to provide great customer service and be really friendly? Or is the purpose of answering the phone to gather data and update your contact record? Or is the purpose of answering the phone to deliver them to someone else as quickly as possible? Or is it to make a sale? Or is it, and so if you don't know, and a lot of times, your employees don't know. If you don't know the purpose or the goal or the measure of success of a particular task, they're going to do it the wrong way. You're not going to be congruent. It was so funny. I had this client in Australia that um, their home staging business. So they they help uh, get homes ready for sale, put nice furniture in. They're real smart. They're very successful. The the husband, you know, the goal for him answering the phone is the complete opposite of the wife because the, the wife is trying to grow the business. And the husband is like, well, my wife's really busy and everyone's really busy. You know, I'm just going to try to not get a client. You know, like he's going to purposely put things in the way to not get a client. Uh, 
just because they're so busy. Whereas the wife is thinking, well, we need these clients because we're trying to grow. And they just, <laughs> they weren't seeing eye to eye in the purpose of, of answering the phone because it, it was never written down. Yeah. Well, I, I'm looking at, we've got a, a template for all of our processes. And at the top, it, the, the core elements of this, and I'm sharing this with you so you could create your own, is what is this for? When do we do it? Why do we do it? Those are the first three things we talk about. Then there's the how you do it and ultimately what results we're looking for. So what is this for? When do we do it? Why do we do it? How do we do it? What results are we looking for? And that way, anybody who steps in, whether it's a virtual assistant to a brand new employee, if they ask me, how do I do X, Y, and Z? I say, go to the process master sheet, which is a master sheet that has every process on it hyperlink to it, they click on it and it literally tells them everything they could possibly ever need to know without me ever having to answer the question. Wow. You guys have it dialed in. That's great. I mean, that's amazing. Ish. I mean, it sounds, sounds <laughs> like we do. We've got it dialed in a lot more than we used to. We still got room for growth. Well, and that, that's, that's the right answer is that if you've built a culture of continuous improvement, uh, it's never done. And it doesn't need to be drudgery. It can be kind of exciting in terms of what else could we do to innovate. And I like to brag about Sam's company uh, just because he's in the answering service business. And there's, let's just say, 3,000 answering services in the United States. It's a, it's a commodity. It's been around a long time. You get the answer. You, I mean, they answer the phone. They transfer the call. Pretty pretty boring business. And in this commodity industry, most folks are getting 3% net profit or less. They're not... They're not, it's, not, it's not a high-margin job. It's not a high-margin um, industry. But for him, once he had this epiphany, he focused on what are we going to do to be the highest quality answering service? And so now they, he says it's, it's 33% net profit. Um, so it's not even close to the average of 3%. And he pays his folks at the answering service $25 an hour. The average person at an answering service, it's a low-level job, is getting paid $12 an hour. Like He's able to be so efficient and so they make they make one mistake every fifteen thousand phone calls. The average call center is probably making a mistake once every two hundred phone calls. I mean, they're just not even they're just night and day, not even close to the rest of the folks in their industry. And it was it was this pursuit of um, not just okay or good or very good, but you know, insanely good at what we do. And they knew they could not achieve that just with good people or a good culture, they had to build in these processes that not just um, told them what to do. And this kind of the core element of what we do is teaching the team to improve the processes, you yeah. know, getting them excited about improving them. Well, I think one thing that's really important for people to understand, there, there's the idea of the domino effect here, right? You saw in the book how you knock that two-inch domino down by 18 dominoes in, it could knock over the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And by the 23rd domino, it knocks down the Eiffel Tower. And by the 31st domino, it looms 3,000 feet above Everest. And the 57th, it reaches almost for the Earth to the moon. That geometric growth. Building these processes in your business at the beginning, you're going to be succeeding so slowly, you feel like you're failing. It is hard to slow down and to document what you're doing, when you do it, why you do it, how you do it, the results when you do it. Yet, over time, if you trust the domino effect, you look up and you actually have what most people don't. Freedom. Freedom for your business to operate beyond you. 
our question for you is, what's the cost of you currently not slowing down and purposefully creating these models and systems in your business today? And are you okay with that over time? I think most people, the answer to that is no. So can you prove to yourself over the next seven days that you can document one thing? Can you? How much time would that really take you? I'll share one thing we do, um, Josh, when we're building processes is it actually doesn't slow us down at all. I just use screen recording software like ScreenFlow and I just document, I start recording on the screen. I do the task like normal, but I dictate like a doctor. So then I click on this button and I'm doing this because we need to do X, Y, and Z. And then I click on this thing and this thing and this thing. And I just send that to a virtual assistant and bada bing, bada boom. In about 24 hours, I have a full blown process. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the technology today makes it so much easier. Um, that's great. Yeah. A lot of folks do that. Uh, I was working with a food processing company. That's exactly what they did. The, the, the guy, um, working the machinery didn't want to write things down, but he had all the knowledge. And so we just got him out there with his cell phone and whenever you're doing something, record it, talk about how you're doing it and then send it over to uh, your assistant. And then she wrote it up for him. It was a beautiful thing. But just to go back to your point, I think the, the point you just made about the, the numbers, you know, how much does it cost you? Now, I've shared this example on a different podcast, but I think it's just a great one because I was working with this um, metal machine shop, small parts in Michigan. And this guy's been in business for, for decades. And he didn't really think they had much to improve. He had 40 employees. And I said, well, just, just humor me. Just, just try this. Write a procedure down. He's like, well, we already kind of know what to do, what we're doing. We're, we're doing just fine. And I said, well, let's just, just write one. And he wrote the procedure for how to end a shift. They had a front, you know, first shift and a second shift. Just how to end a shift. And he wrote that down. It was about one page. And then how the next line workers would start their shift. And he wrote down that procedure. It took him about an hour. And then I said, well, what was the difference? And he's like, well, you know, not much. We, we kind of already know how to do this. Uh, the, the guy's been working there for a while. And I said, well, you know, just I, I dug a little deeper. I said, well, how much time did you save? And how much overlap between first shift and second shift? And how much faster did it go? And, you know, less mistakes. And, you know, and he, he, he admitted it helped a little bit. But then we put numbers to it. And they were had they had a 15 minute overlap of staff between first shift and second shift. And once they got tighter with how they finished the shift and how they started the shift, they only needed a five minute overlap because they didn't need all that coordination and recalibration of tools. So that's a hundred thousand dollars a year in savings. And he didn't think it really did anything. And it's just it's those uh, little things that add up. And uh, you know he's got a larger company, so it, it sounds more dramatic. But it's just he spent an hour of time, wrote a process. And he says, you know, he feels like an idiot because he didn't do it 20 years ago. You know, he just, he did it now instead of 20 years ago. And that's, you know, that's how you save that $100,000 a year is just get focused on each piece of your business. Realize that if you spent the time, just like you're doing, to write it down, you'll come up with new ideas. And if you allow your team to always be improving it, they're going to incrementally improve it. And that's the whole domino effect is teaching your team the method, giving them the structure to, to use it. And then you can walk away and, you know, continue to be the cheerleader, but you can walk away and they will get it better and better and better and better with time. Um, you know, in Sam's company, he didn't make all these innovations over the last 15 years. His team did. He just set the structure up and the culture and the strategy. And then he was able to walk away. And then, you know, the domino effect, it's, you know, year over year over year. It's just, he said every single month it makes him more money and takes him less time. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, clockwork. 
Yeah. Well, I've got a, a buddy who started a company in the video editing space called Red Giant, which for anybody who's a video editor will know that company. Um, he scaled that thing now. I mean, it's very lucrative company and he works less than four hours a month on it because he was very intentional from day one that everything needed to have a process and a system for how it gets done. And it just allowed him to continue to leverage things off his plate more and more and more to the point that he's pretty much out of the business now. And it keeps paying him. Yep. It's a beautiful thing. And you know, the, I think what some people, the, the bad taste in their mouth is they, they think, well, I'm not a lazy person. And so I don't need to do that uh, because I like my work. And it's, it's fine to like your work. I think you should like your work, but it's developing taste buds for other parts of your work. You know, more of the leadership elements of your work, more of the business development, more of the entrepreneurial pieces instead of being stuck because those pieces no one can do but you. And then realizing that that extra time and extra money, it doesn't need to be squandered in a, um, a selfish way. You can do, uh, you, know, you can have leverage and you can have more impact with, in a very positive way. Maybe it's another business, maybe it's expanding your business, maybe it's getting involved, you know, like Sam has with politics or with a nonprofit. There are things that you can do, but you can't do them if you're stuck. And you have to, you have to commit to making that, uh, that shift, realizing that you can make a big impact. Mm-hmm. And what's holding you back is yourself. You know, it's waking up and choosing to do what you do versus waking up and feeling obligated to do it. Exactly. Yeah, great point. Well, Josh, where can people learn more about you? The best place to go would be our website, Work the System. And I know I've referenced it multiple times in this podcast, but uh, Sam's book, he doesn't make any money on his book, nor does he he need to. It, it's free on his website. So it's it's a great book. It's in multiple languages, and we have it for free on our website. Uh, you just download it. And then once you're there, then uh, you, know, you can certainly tool around. We have a podcast. We have some webinars there and a bunch of other resources. And we're just there designed, you know, if you want the help to help you make that transition from being working in the business to working on it and really scaling it with systems. And that's what we're here for. Amazing, man. Well, thank you so much for the time and for sharing all your insights. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Josh Fonger of Work the System. Out of everything you heard in this episode, folks, our challenge to you would be, can you at some point over the next seven days document one process. Pick one thing in your business or your personal life. We don't care if it's how to brush your teeth. Can you prove to yourself that you can document what you do, when you do it, why you do it, how you do it, and the results you get by doing it in a step-by-step fashion? Can you get it onto a sheet of paper, a Word document, a Google Doc, whatever works for you. If you'd like to see a version of our process document to get a jump start, go to the onething.com with the number one in the URL, click on the free stuff tab, and you can find it there. This is what we use currently. By no means is it perfect. It's an evolution. This will give you a jump start though. So you can go to the onething.com with the number one in the URL, click on free stuff and download it there. Sometimes we think of moving from E to P by building these models and systems seems like such a big concept. And we think big and we try to act big by systemizing everything. We would encourage you to think big and go small. Start by documenting one thing 
And once that's done, would that make it easier or unnecessary to leverage that thing to someone else? Amazing things become possible when you learn to succeed through others, and that is the highest form of success. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to go deeper in this, consider joining us in Austin for the One Thing Mid-Year Reset Retreat. This will be a two-day immersion experience where (laughs) we're just going to do all this stuff in the room. So you're going to leave with a clear plan for the next six months on exactly what you can do so that you look up at the end of the year feeling like you are perfectly on track on your goals. Go to the onething.com slash reset retreat. Again, that's the onething.com with the number one, the URL slash reset retreat and you can learn more about it there thanks so much for listening we really appreciate your time and attention if this has helped you consider sharing it with somebody if you're on an iphone there's the three little buttons in the bottom right you can click it and click text it to somebody email it to somebody and if you're the person that this got shared with consider subscribing to the show that way all future episodes automatically get downloaded to your device. And if you have not yet or have not recently left us a rating and review, it's one way that you help us reach more people as well as give us great feedback on how we can make the show even better for you because that's our commitment. We're on our own road to mastery and we're just honored that you're coming along for the journey. Thanks so much and we look forward to being with you in the next episode. 